This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, here we go. We're back bringing you all the news, the things you need to know, the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. This is Decibel Geek Podcast presents... Geek Wire. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have a good time today, just like we always do. We're going to go through some of the latest happenings in the world of music, the things that we love, the rock and the metal. You guys know me. I'm Aaron Camaro. You also know this man. It's Chris Sinzak. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm ready because my job is crazy, and I have no idea what's going on in the world around me. I am unaware of anything. <laughs> I need to be caught up, and I'm guessing our listeners do too, so I'm hoping that you've got some good news stories for us today. Well, I've got something that's breaking just now as we're recording this, so uh, this isn't even on the list. All right, so Eddie Trunk has posted, uh, well, first of all, Eddie's actually flying here to Nashville today to interview Dolly Parton about her rock album. That's not the big story I'm wanting to talk about, though. Okay. Um, I guess he... He had Steve Whiteman from Kicks on his show, and uh, he had a lot of interesting um, things about the band. So Rock and Roll Experience, who was listening to Eddie's show today, did kind of a summary, and I wanted to go over it because there's some interesting stuff here. Okay. Kicks, who have recently broken up, retired as it was. Well, not broken up, but they're they're set to play their last show this year. Okay. They're going to do a show at uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion where they do M3 every year and wrap it up. I think this coming month they're going to finish it up. Hmm. But a couple interesting things that Steve mentioned was that uh, Ronnie Yunkins will definitely be performing on three or four songs during the band's last show, at the, uh, the, the but not the entire set. But that's good to hear that he's going to do some songs with them. That's cool. That's uh, real cool. Uh, Brad Divens will be joining the band for a few songs during the last show. I'm not familiar with Brad Divens. Are you? Um, I want to say yes. The name definitely sounds familiar, but maybe it is because he's part of the world of kicks. Well, this was, and then this note 
really upsets me, but I hope he's okay. Brian Forsyth, um, who we've interviewed on the show in person and had yeah. at Rock and Pod, apparently had a stroke several months ago. Oh, shit. And it was due to carbon monoxide filling his home from a faulty appliance. Oh, no. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about this. No, I hadn't either. Oh, man. Man, I just... <clears throat> he's like one of the most health conscious people I know. But um, And super cool and friendly and nice. Yeah, very nice guy. I hope he's okay. That's that's awful. Um Damn. Due to Jimmy Chalfont's health, he can no longer sing backup vocals and play drums. So Bob Perret has stepped it up on backing vocals. Um he said Mark has been working on a reissue of Hot of the Hotwire album. Hmm. And said this is truly the end of kicks because he feels he can no longer perform good enough for the band. That's what he says about himself. Yeah. You know what? It sucks that kicks has to go away. I hate that, but I'll give it to him, man. I'll give it to Steve, man. That's that takes balls, you know, to know it and own it and say, I don't want to overstay my welcome, you know, like yeah. so many other bands do, but then still overstay their welcome. They could milk it for several more years through the Monsters of Rock cruise, Monsters on the Mountain, sure. all those things. Yeah. But uh, that that's cool that they're doing. I'm, I hope Brian's okay. That really worries me. Yeah. I mean, because there's always going to be places that want to book kicks. It's, it's just one of them things where, like, the clubs come out, the bands, the, theater, the clubs, the theaters – the arenas, whatever, they all come out and they say, we'll pay you, come play, you know. Nobody has ever stepped up to take your places in rock, you know, no matter what level you're on. And Kix is, you know, they've done all right for themselves over the years, you know, with the ups and downs. People still love them, people still respect them, and people still go see them live. To walk away from that and say, you know, it's it's not about the money anymore. There's a legacy thing that goes with that, you know. Kix wants to be remembered for being awesome. I had the iPod on shuffle today in the car and I had a kick song come up and I was like, man, you know, I've got a lot of cool stuff on this iPod, but this is the coolest song I've heard in like the last half an hour of driving. What song was it? Oh shit. Now I got to remember what song it was. Um, what was it? What was it? Get it while it's hot. Oh, okay. I like that one. That's a great song, man. Great song. And I'm thinking about kicks. I'm like, man, Steve Whiteman's one of those singers that as soon as you hear his voice, you know exactly who it is because there's nobody that sounds like that guy. No, that's true. And like we got to see him at Farm Rock and it was amazing then, but like I yeah. can't imagine seeing Kicks in their prime. That must have been awesome. Yeah, I wish I could have. Yeah, because they were great. But um, I noticed no mention of um, Donnie Purnell in, the, in that update. Hmm. But you know, I, I've heard that was a... Uh, that was a very uh, ambivalent situation uh, when they split with him. And I was excited for his solo album. And then I listened to his solo album like a week, week ago and uh, not good. No, no, it's pretty awful actually. Well, you know, just cause these guys are retiring from playing live, you know, hopefully they can still get together and create new music together. It's time for the funny money reunion. Well, Steve Whiteman just put out a solo album a year or two ago and it was really good. Yeah, I'll listen to anything he puts out. He's great. 
Right on. Well, shit. Our love goes out to Brian Forsyth and yeah. to Kix. You know, we're going to miss Kix and hopefully have Brian around for a long, long time. For sure. Um, Metallica now holds the highest single show attendance record at Los Angeles's SoFi Stadium. Uh, wow. This is a. Uh, this is some impressive numbers. They drew nearly 80,000 fans to their Friday, August 25th show. That nice. was the first of two, and uh, more than 156,000 tickets wow. sold for for two concerts. Nice. That's awesome. They uh, they, they blew away uh, Taylor Swift's uh, per-show numbers. See? See? Hard rock and metal is still alive and well. Now Taylor Swift did do six nights and had a four hundred and twenty thousand tickets sold, um, with seventy thousand plus in attendance each time. But per show, Metallica did more. Yeah, well, then if Metallica did six shows, they would have beat that. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I have to give the credit to Taylor Swift. Jesus Christ, she's like it's like Beatlemania with her right now. Yeah, that's what I'm told. Sorry, Baco. What happens when Metallica gets to the point where Kix has found themselves? It's a good question because we're down to just a few arena level metal and hard rock bands. Those of you that are mainstream music listeners that don't give new bands a shot, you know, you made your bed, you lie in it. Hmm. We need to do a fresh blood and soon. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Uh, Sebastian Bach back in the news and uh, let me let's do this in two different ways. So I'm gonna read you the quote that he had live and there's really nothing wrong with the quote that he had. but when you put it into context, you'll think about it differently. You ready? Okay, yep, yeah. So prior to launching into 18 in life, he uh, went on a rant in front of the crowd at a show where was this show at Side Out Sports Tavern in Island Lake, Illinois. He said, uh, I think these American Idol shows fucking suck because America picked this fucking idol, not some bullshit TV show. I'm not just putting one person down. I'm putting them all fucking down. Carrie Underwood's pretty good. So who else is from that? And then somebody in the crowd said Kelly Clarkson. He's like, is, is it that amazing? Anyways, you can sing this song on your American Idol show all you want. This song was picked by America by you people. Thank you so much for 35 years of rock and roll. This song is for you. It's called 18 in Life. Now, that's perfectly acceptable thing to say. Yeah, I guess so. However, Skid Row's current vocalist, Eric Gronwall, was discovered on one of these types of shows. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sebastian Bach, you clever son of a bitch. <laughs> he was, Eric Gronwall was on Swedish, Amer Swedish Idol. Yeah, yeah. So uh, somebody still can't let things go. That is kind of funny, though. <laughs> you kind of just stick it without coming right out and saying it. Yeah. The quote by itself, anybody else say that? You'd be like, yeah, I agree. Um, but coming from the guy that was replaced by a guy who won Swedish's version of that show, uh, uh, yeah, there's obviously some some hate going on there. Yeah, all these American Idol shows suck, especially the ones from Sweden. Well, he didn't go that far. But this is Sebastian Bach we're talking about here. It, it was this all unintentional? It was just him having a stream of conscious thought about American Idol type shows, and then later on somebody goes, 
oh, that must have been a dig at the new Skid Row singer. And then Spash Spot goes, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I'm clever. I'm clever. Right. Wow. If you saw the sequin pants he was wearing in the video clip, you wouldn't think he was clever. No. <laughs> and, and he weighs too much to be wearing those pants. I'll just say that. Not that I'm one to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Smashbox got a little husky over the years, but we all get older. Yeah. Um, in Super Bowl related news, the Super Bowl is going to be held February 11th, 2024 at Allegiant Stadium in Paradise, Nevada, otherwise known as Las Vegas. And the the governor of Nevada, Joe Lombardo, said that he wants only one band to play the halftime show, and that band is ACDC. Hell yes. The fact that ACDC's never played the Super Bowl is insane. Like, yeah. they're the band that probably has clips from their songs played at more stadiums and in between plays and in going into commercials, coming out of commercials. You're talking about NFL football. You got to give it to ACDC. Right. I would sure think. Maybe Ozzy a close second, but man, ACDC number one. And the fact they've never played a Super Bowl, we've been crying about this for years. You always want to give us the Beyonce and all that kind of stuff. But you play hard rock music in every other setting except for that. I'm all for it. I might actually watch the halftime show. Well, and this is where things get interesting because according to... A website called BetUS.com. Now, who knows if that's real or not? They said that the NFL does not select who takes the stage for the halftime show at the Super Bowl, that they are chosen by the host towns after the NFL compiles a short list. So there might be legs to this ah. if, the, if the governor or mayor is saying, let's do it. Wow, yeah. Maybe it's not the NFL. Maybe it's these cities going, I don't know, ACDC's a little too cool for us. That would be so cool if they played it, though. That'd be super cool. Well, it's like, how often do you hear songs of ACDCs being played during kickoffs? All the time. All the time. They're the number one NFL band. I'm certain of it. I mean, Thunderstruck. How many stadiums has Thunderstruck alone been played at? Exactly. For those about to rock? Yeah. Come on. I mean, they're made for big sporting events. Yeah. Man, that would be awesome. The only shame about it is that it's taken this long to do it. You know, it would have been better to have them do it back in their prime when they should have done it. So we need to see the Chiefs try to return to the Super Bowl and the Packers pull off a miracle with Jordan Love and get to the yeah. Super Bowl and then ACDC plays halftime. That's perfect. I could totally see it. Chiefs better get it together because I know the Packers will be there. <laughs> I think you got that backwards, friend. Got to believe. <laughs> <laughs> you really got to believe. <laughs> It would be pretty cool. I heard Jordan Love. I watched highlights. Jordan Love looked pretty sharp so far. Yeah, no, he's good. I mean, it's it's this ain't a football show, but I mean, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre all them years, picked up all the do's and don'ts. Aaron Rodgers went in and was super successful. Jordan Love sat on the bench, watched Aaron Rodgers all these years. The do's and don'ts, you pick them all up. He's going to be super successful. You never know. I mean, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. <laughs> He's going to be way better than well, that's Trent what I'm Dilfer. Saying, if he can anyone can. <laughs> Although I don't think the Packers have a Ray Lewis on their defense. Ah, <laughs> oh, they got some good dudes though. Some no, they young do guys. Yeah. All right. Well, enough football talk. That's your sports segment of Geek Wire. Let's wrap that up. Yeah, we'll let the uh, Cobras and Fire guys do uh, slobber knockers. Um, 
Lou Graham has said that Foreigner's exclusion from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is based on a, quote, personal vendetta. He said that uh, it's not anything to do with our music or the amount of hits or notoriety or anything like that. He told the Red, the Rock Shop with Ralph. He said it's a personal thing that we're not in there. It's a personal vendetta between the gentleman who owns Rolling Stone, that'd be Jan Winter, and Mick Jones. He says it's very juvenile, the whole thing, and I don't think it's going to get any better. I, don't, I think it's going to stay that way. I think we're being made an example of. So apparently Jan Winter, not a fan of Foreigner. Boy, I guess not. You know, I'm actually kind of surprised that Foreigner's not already in the Rock Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, they're kind of the definition of corporate AOR arena rock. Yeah, but those that first album's got some really cool stuff on it, and... Yeah, they definitely changed with the flavors of what was popular. Just for the amount of top 40 hits, they probably should have gotten in by now. But again, I mean, like the version of the band that's touring now, even Mick Jones doesn't really play anymore. So it's it's not even the band. So like, Well, I mean, Kiss is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's true. Foreigner had way more hits than Kiss. Oh, yeah. Tons of them. Not nearly as cool as Kiss, but we know Kiss wasn't liked by the Hall of Fame committee or whatever either. I wonder what the vendetta is, though. Like, it's like, what is causing this? Mick Jones trick uh, Paul Schaefer into drinking some pee. Paul Schaefer. <laughs> and that what kept Kiss out for all them years? Like Ace Frehley pissed in Paul Schaefer's beer or something? Oh, I forgot about that. You never know. That was a rumor. I don't know if that's true or not. Kind of funny, though, that two members of Letterman's band was played on the solo album in 78. Maybe that's why Paul Schaefer hired Anton Figg, was to keep him away from Ace Fraley. And Will Lee, who played bass in Letterman's band, plays bass on uh, Ace's record. Oh, you guys are playing with Ace Fraley. How'd you like a better gig than that? I'll hire you right now just to take you away from that son of a bitch. Pissed in my beer. Made me drink it. Laughed and laughed and laughed. Thought it was so funny. (laughs) I'll make sure they never get into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, Foreigner probably... There must be something personal there because, like, the amount of big hits they had, you would think they'd be a shoe-in for it. I'm trying to remember when we did our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, surely we inducted Foreigner. I'd have to go back and listen. We inducted Tough, for crying out loud. And Killer Dwarfs. And Killer Dwarfs. Surely we inducted Foreigner. Well, I don't know. We were kind of going against the grain with that. But Foreigner's still a rock band. Yeah, I think, honestly, you know, of course, they deserve to be there before Killer Dwarfs and Tough. No. (laughs) Welcome to the C.V. Rochelle dimension. All right. Yeah, we really are living in a simulation when we're picking those bands over Foreigner. Yeah, I don't know. That is weird. I, I would think Foreigner would be in there based on their popularity. And the fact that they are a rock and roll band, yeah, they should sure. be in it. In the um, I Wish I Had Known Sooner department, Suicidal Tendencies has announced uh, several 2023 U.S. shows to celebrate the 40th anniversary of their debut album. Had you heard about this? Yeah, I definitely did, man. This is one of those moments that happens to me quite often where... Like, one of my favorite bands will announce that they're going on tour in the U.S. I go, oh, yeah, please, 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 please open. Please, please, please scroll. Please, please scroll again. Fuck. Oh, nowhere near here. But they are playing near here. 
Are they playing near the list I saw? I didn't put them anywhere around Tennessee. Well, apparently, two days from when we're recording this, oh, which is August 29th, they're playing September right. 1st at the Muddy Roots Festival in Putnam County. That's right. I did forget about that because my wife and I were actually talking about that, but because Guar is going to be there. Oh, are they? And also Suicidal Tendencies, and then also a whole shitload of bands that I give no dams about. <laughs> so then that becomes a real long road trip. In a festival outdoor setting thing, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah, we talked about it for like a half a second. And we're like, yeah, I don't think so. It's just too far away. I'm not camping. Yeah, you would have to camp for this thing. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So that's why, I mean, I was hoping when I scrolled, like, they'd come back around and do something of their own, you know. I want to see Suicidal as the headliner. Kind of yeah. like Ugly Kid Joe. You know, we waited so long for that. But I didn't want to see Ugly Kid Joe just opening for somebody. And so when they announced that they were headlining that tour, that was a big deal. Kind of like Queens of the Stone Age, you know. And they actually came here. I went to it. It was awesome. And I was really hoping the same for Suicidal. But, yeah, other than the, the festival thing going on 50 miles out in the country, well, further than that, it's like 200. It's way out there too far away for me well i'm looking at the schedule for the it's like a three-day event thursday friday and saturday or actually four days thursday friday, friday saturday and sunday yeah. um yeah if you wanted to go to see both those bands you would have to see let's see you would see guar on i think friday and then yeah. you'd have to wait till sunday to see suicide or it's backwards suicidal on friday guar on sunday and the only other bands i'm DRI is playing on Saturday. Wow. Huh. Um, and then Dead Milkmen are playing. I was really into them for a little while. Huh. But other than those four, it's a bunch of people I've never heard of. Yeah. And that was the thing that really killed it for us. Like, we really considered it for a moment. But then it's like they announced what day Guara was playing, but they hadn't announced which day Suicidal was playing. And we said... If they're both playing on the same day, we might make that trip. Yeah. And then it and then it didn't end up like that. It's like, I'll oh, forget it. Yeah. There's a band called Belushi Speedball. <laughs> That's gotta be cool, right? Yeah. At least have some, a kick ass logo. There's some funny band names on here. But uh no, I yeah, it, it's it's weird. Usually it's a bunch of hipster bands that play this thing. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, suicidal, um, but if you're interested, they're playing uh, Blue Ridge Rock Festival in Virginia. They're going to play in Canada, several shows in Canada, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, California, and uh, several shows in uh, Australia. So uh, you have a shot at seeing them. Mm, I wish I did. Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't even know about it till this week. They did terrible advertising. Yeah, we actually, when we, like a, I guess about a month ago now, we went to that punk rock flea market thing. Yeah. There was somebody handing out flyers for that, and that's when I first became aware of it. Yeah, there's some good uh, vinyl vendors at that. Oh, yeah. Um, just real quick, this is probably more of a self-indulgent thing, because I know you're not much of a Volbeat fan, but Volbeat is going to go work on their new record in 2024. They have no touring plan for next year. The big question for me is, how is this going to sound? Because Rob Caggiano is no longer the uh, lead guitar player and producer and songwriter. So I'm interested to see what direction wow. they take. 
Boy, when you lose the main guitarist and the guy that writes the songs. Well, I mean, Michael wrote most of the songs for all the years, and he still is heavily involved. So I think it'll still sound like Volbeat, but, man, I thought Rob Caggiano took them to another level. But I know other people, including Baco, will disagree with me on that. I don't hate Volbeat. I like some of their stuff. They're not one of my most favorite bands, but I do like some of their stuff. He and a lot of other people think that Rob made them sound more commercial, which that's kind of honestly what I liked about it. But uh, yeah, and I thought Rob could play some really shredding solos. So I mean, it's and then the guy they brought in to replace him on tour is from a death metal band, Fleming Lund from the Arcane Order was the okay. uh, replacement. I don't know if they're going to keep him for the record, but either that or it'll sound like the first three Volbeat records, which everyone loves anyway, so maybe it'll be fine. Maybe. Go back to their roots. Yeah. That's cool. Well, just be happy that they're still going on. You know, they could have hung it up and split apart and all that, but Volbeat lives on. Yes, sir. All right, we're at the halfway mark. You want to okay. go ahead and do your segment? All right, yes. Let's take a look to the past, the past, and the future. (laughs) With the Camaro segment, yeah. So, no more Rockstar birthdays. Unanimously, the uh, feedback that I got from that was thumbs up. (laughs) Goodbye, Rockstar birthdays. Hello, album anniversaries. This comes with its own set of problems, though. Because what I thought was a great idea has turned out to be something that is truly insustainable. We cannot do this every single week because the first week is like, okay, this ain't so bad, and maybe next week won't be as bad either, but this one is insane. There's so many albums, so many. Well, especially as you get into fall because that's when a lot of the, the big classic rock and metal albums came out. Maybe that's what it is, but, man, we got a shit ton So we're going to have to do this rapid fire. I think last time we left off on like the 18th, so we'll go back in time. Well, shit, quite a ways, because we've got to mention a few of these. Well, this is a big one right here. We'll kick it off with this. The 40-year anniversary of ACDC Flick of the Switch. Not one of their most successful albums, but I think it's one that gets overlooked quite a bit that actually has some pretty damn good songs on it. I like it. It's in my top 10 of theirs. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, 38-year anniversary of Ingve Malmsteen marching out. We've got the 33rd anniversary of Black Sabbath Tear. That's, that's the later year stuff. That came out in 1990. On that same day, released in 1990. On the 20th, the Firehouse debut, 33 years old. Here's one. It's a youngster by the standards of this list. It's L.A. Guns Walking the Dead celebrating a 21-year anniversary. In a time, 2002, not a lot of people were really clamoring for that new L.A. Guns album. But man, what they released was one of the best things they'd ever done. Here's a classic and a big anniversary, 45 years on. Celebrated this back on the 21st. The Who, Who Are You? That Keith Moon's last record, right? Yep, that was the one. No more who after that? Well, I mean, they kept on, but they were never the same. But yeah, that one's 45 years old. 
36-year anniversary back in 1987 on the 21st to Metallica, the 598 Garage Days re-revisited. This is right in my age wheelhouse right here. Like, I remember when that came out on cassette, I remember feeling real good that it was only six bucks. Yeah. It's like, I got to get it because I can afford it. That was a brilliant, brilliant thing they did. They really took the youth that didn't have a whole lot of cash and made them feel included. And then they were kind of like rebels at that same time, too, because you looked at them as like, yeah, they're fighting the system to give us something, you know, at an affordable price because they really care for us. That did a lot for Metallica, I think. Yeah, I do, too. All right, let's see. Back in. Oh, here's a good one. 33 years ago on the 21st. These three albums, no, these four albums, were all released on the very same day. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Alice in Chains' Facelift, Anthrax, Persistence of Time, Rat Detonator, and those guys from Striper, they're bad boys now. They're back with Against the Law. Wow, what a day. Yeah, all four of those albums released on the same day. I like all those records. I do too, Yeah. I mean, shit, you got to love Facelift. That was, I mean, they talk about grunge and how it changed everything. But to me, Alice in Chains was no different than Anthrax, Rat, or Striper. You know, it was all rock to me. And even though I wasn't really into Striper back then, and at the time didn't really give too much of a care about that album, now in retrospect, I look back and I go, man, that was actually pretty cool. And I wish I'd actually gave that a chance when I was younger. Yeah. But I know I bought Detonator because mm-hmm. they had Way Cool Junior on it. And I saw that video and I was like, heck yeah, Rat's still killing it. Not as big a fan of that song as when I was younger. Probably yeah. not as much of a fan of that album as I was when I was younger. But I think Alice in Chains' facelift is kind of timeless. I loved it then, yeah. and I love it to this day. That's one of my Desert Island discs. Yeah, for sure. So, 33rd anniversary to all four of those albums. It's wild to think they all came out on the same day. What else we got on here? On the 26th year, well, this would be the 26th year anniversary back in 1997, Oasis, Be Here Now. I know we got some people that really like Oasis, some people not so much. I I like them a lot. I think they're okay. They got some songs that are pretty cool. Most of it kind of annoys me and gets on my nerves. <laughs> but they do have a handful of cool ones. I'll give them that. One of my all-time favorites and an album that kicked off a lifelong fanhood for me, the debut of Enough's Enough 34 years ago on the 22nd back in 1989. Released on that very same day, L.A. Guns Cocked and Loaded 89. Both those albums celebrating 34-year anniversaries. God, we're getting old. I know it. I know it. Here's an album that when I was in the middle of my radio career, were a pretty damn big deal. The 23rd anniversary of the 2000 album LD50 by Mudvayne. I love that record. It was pretty cool. You know, I was kind of resistant to a lot of that stuff at the time, but I'd play it because that's what I was getting paid to do. But when Mudvayne came on, I actually kind of liked that. That was more metal to me. It wasn't overkill with the 
with the sound effects and all the things that were getting dropped into metal songs back then. Those guys were a little more straight up. And, you know, they wore makeup. Maybe that spoke to me. Well, they, they had a cool look, and they were so technically gifted that yeah. made them kind of stand out from the pack. They called it math metal, but the, but it was entertaining. I was playing in bands at that time, and I was trying to ape that sound as much as I could. Yeah, they were super popular at that time, no doubt about it. Here's one. Uh, it's a big one, too. 40-year anniversary, basically, of the band Rat. Because in 1983, on the 23rd, the EP came out. The very first release from Rat. Best thing they ever did. 40 years ago, man. Long time. But yeah, that's that's awesome. I love those tracks. I've always got that on my CD list, hoping to find like a, a reissue of that somewhere along the line. But I don't ever see it anywhere. I've heard those tracks on YouTube. <laughs> there must be some kind of weird ownership issue with that because like they... They, it was Atlantic or whoever their record label was reissued all their records, but that was left off like this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that. That was, yeah, not too long ago. That would be what you would want the most, and it's not on there. Yeah, so there must be some kind of ownership thing with that. I wonder who's got it. Why are they sitting on it? I don't know. Put that shit on an LP and a CD release and give it to us. All right, 35 years ago in 1988, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking comes out. It's a great record. It's always weird to me to think back. Like, I always like put Jane's Addiction in with the bands of the 90s. Yeah. But they were around in the late 80s, too. I mean, they're putting out albums on the very same day as, you know, it was the very same year as a lot of other bands that we like. I mean, you're talking about 1988 right there. Mm -hmm. Jane's Addiction kind of rides that line between 80s rock and 90s stuff. Well, it's because they didn't hit big till Ben Caught Stealing took off on MTV. And that, yeah. was, that was the 90s. Yeah, that's true. And then I guess everybody went back and bought their old shit. Yeah. Let's see. 29-year anniversary to Tesla's Bust a Nut, released back in 1984. Uh, Rolling Stones Tattoo You, celebrating a 42-year anniversary. Here's one. I'm curious if you remember this. I, was, I put it on the list, not because it's an all-time classic, but because I remember it. It's kind of obscure. Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Yeah. Bring Your Own Stereo, released 24 years ago in 1999 on the 24th. You know Jimmy's Chicken Shack. I do. Is that the one that has the, has the song uh, High? That's the very same yeah. band. Yep, the one and only. <laughs> yeah. I saw the video on either VH1 or MTV at the time and uh, bought the cassette tape because I had a cassette nice. deck in my car. And uh used to do lots of cocaine and listen to Jimmy's Chicken Shack back in the day. Nice. I got to see Jimmy's Chicken Shack live one time. Did you? Opening up for Jackal. How were they? They're all right. They're okay. Yeah. You know, they only really had that one big song and then just kind of, yeah, that might be one of those bands that have been putting out albums all these years and I have no idea. But I like that song high, but I remember the rest of the album not being so great. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I bought it for that one song and the rest of the album's like, eh, it's not bad. Yeah, see, that's where we talk about like bands that, an album you didn't expect is huge, but that's because the album before it was great and hyped up the next one. Yeah. In this case, man, you can't just have one good song on the album that brings you to the table because then nobody's going to buy the second one. Well, yeah, and they I think truly that's, had one good song. 
probably what happened to Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Hey, they might have had more and just saved them for the second one, but the world will never know. I wouldn't know because I only bought the first one. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I have to look into that. Let's see. Also, 24 years ago, on the very same day in 1999, Seven Dust Home album is released. Man, I love that one. Produced by Toby Wright. That's right. Yeah, awesome. Here, let's go back a few years for this one. 54 years ago today, Grand Funk Railroad releases the album On Time. That's one of my favorites by them. Very good stuff. Classic 70s, funky, hard rock music. Uh, Talking about the 70s, here's one from 1976, celebrating a 47-year anniversary Boston debut album. It's a perfect-sounding record. Oh, yeah, and chocked full of hits. Like I think, what, there's two songs on there on the whole album that isn't on regular rotation on classic rock stations yeah. all over the world? And even they are great. Yeah, they're pretty it, cool, there's too. Nothing, there's literally no flaws on that record. It was huge, and it made a whole long career for those guys. Uh, here's one celebrating its 41st anniversary. I know this is one you're a fan of. Alice Cooper, Zipper Catches Skin, released in 1982. Lots of cocaine, but it's a great record. Yeah. Here's one of our favorites. Everybody knows it's celebrating a 31-year anniversary back in 1992, produced by Michael Wagner, Warrant, Dog Eat Dog. Classic. 25-year anniversary in 1998 to Rammstein, Sensucht, I think. I need to try to really get into this band. Eric Luzier keeps harping on me about how great they are, but like I can't get past the language barrier part. And I was thinking about that because I don't think, and I can't think of any, in America, in rock, a foreign band singing a foreign language have such a big accepted hit here. No, they're the big. They're the biggest of that type of thing. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anybody before them. I don't know about anything after them. No, I can't imagine other than Macarena. Yeah, I guess so. Is that all Spanish? Some of it's in English. It's got. To, I think it's all Spanish. But then you think about Rammstein. Like the first time I heard it, it's like, why isn't this in English? This is amazing. You know, this is so heavy, so cool. The guitar tone is unlike just about anything I'd ever heard up to that point. That little bit of Sabbath in there too, heavy metal. But that dude's voice and singing it, his voice. And singing it in German, I think if they would have had like English releases or English versions of it, I don't think it would have been a hit, and I don't think it would have been as big a deal. Maybe, yeah, maybe the novelty is what broke big for them. But like, I mean, they play fucking stadiums all over the world, so they, yeah. they they've definitely caught on. I just need to give them more of a shot. I want to see them live because the pyro show is insane. Yeah, and they got a shit ton of albums too over the years. Yeah. All right, man, this list is insane. It's so long. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> this is why this is insustainable. If we're going to have any meaningful conversation about any of these albums, I'm going to have to like figure out a way to, to pare it down a little bit, to just maybe the most important. Well, you're the one that wanted to bring up Jimmy's Chicken Shack, not me. <laughs> With rare exceptions, of course, for bands like Jimmy's Chicken Shack. How could we? If we don't remember... Who will? <laughs> Who will? Even Jimmy's forgotten about Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Maybe so. Here is another one that was a big deal back when I was in radio, the debut of Godsmack. It's turning 25 years old this year, around the 25th. Uh, released on that very same day, 
this makes perfect sense. Rob Zombie, Hellbilly Deluxe, mm. both celebrating their 25-year anniversaries, or they did, on the 25th. Let's see. Uh, oh, here's a big one. 32-year anniversary to Pearl Jam 10. Love it. Yeah, one of the most iconic albums in all rock history. Whether you love them or hate them, you can't deny it. That was a pretty damn good album. And you know what? That's another one, too. This is that time when something like that comes out in the early 90s, kind of like Alice in Chains' facelift, where I don't see the change. You know, I think of this as a cool new rock band, and I don't see no reason why I can't like them and Motley Crue at the same time, only later to realize that, oh, there's a division being built here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could tell they broke from the formula of hard rock. I mean, you could tell it was different, but... But I still viewed it as, uh, it's just good rock and roll. Right. Yep. Uh, The band I just saw last Saturday night celebrating 21-year anniversary of, I guess, their breakthrough album. This is the one they first had some decent hits off of. Uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Death, released on the 27th back in 2002. Here's a classic. You want to feel old? 51 years old, this album is. Released back in 1972. Cactus. Hot and sweaty. Wow. Not hot and sweaty. They're English. It's hot and sweaty. Are they English? Some of them are, aren't they? Well, Carmine wasn't. Well, no, not Carmine, but <laughs> somebody in that band was, because otherwise they wouldn't say hot and sweaty, right? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I know they were influenced by all that stuff. Yeah. The British Invasion. Maybe that's what it was. That's That sounds like a, like a Humble Pie title or something. It definitely does. Something Steve Marriott would have come up with. Maybe it was just the influence. But, man, that cactus. I mean, you talk about this stuff came out back in 1972, but there were some great bands back then. I think cactus is kind of underappreciated because I had the chance to pick up some of those early cactus CDs, or, you know, albums on CD these days. And... uh there's some really good stuff on there, man. You should give it a try. One of uh, Eddie Van Halen's biggest influences. I believe that. Yeah. Because the guitars on it are all badass. All right. How's this one? See, if I whittled this down, this would be one that I would have to include, right? 34-year anniversary. This album was released back on the 28th in 1989. Man, one of the most important albums of my childhood. Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. Was it 90? 89. Oh, 89, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know it was in the 80s. Yeah, but, 89. But yeah, like, next to Guns N' Roses, the biggest rock band in the world at the time. Totally. Like, yeah. there was no escaping it. Everybody loved Motley Crue. The boys liked Motley Crue. The girls loved Motley Crue. Yep. Some of the teachers might have even liked Motley Crue in 1989. They were so big and so popular. We had a like school assembly i don't think it was a talent show but i don't think it was like a pep rally but there was a group of kids that were i guess they were like going to be future politicians or something and they did like this acapella version of uh change off of that album (laughs) he had to bring that song up (laughs) and it was awful i hate that song (laughs) Even the weird kids liked Motley Crue. Everyone loved them then. They yeah. were they were everywhere. For sure. Here's now my love. I know, you know, in Germany this is 
I mean, this has got to be considered Halloween's top album. Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2, 35-year anniversary, released back in 1988. That's the one, right? That's the one everybody talks about with Halloween? Pretty much. All right. Although I remember watching Headbangers Ball, maybe it was a year or two before that, and it would, you'd see the video and like you know, MTV would do the band name, the song title, the album title, and it was Halloween, performing Halloween from the album Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's like Black Sabbath yeah. by Black Sabbath on Black Sabbath. Exactly. That's cool. All right. At this point, I lost my spirit and stopped keeping track of the anniversary, what year it was. <laughs> maybe do it in five-year increments. Yeah, maybe do something like that. Like, it's got to be like a... It's got to be 20, 25, 30. Right. Yeah, that's going to have to be the way. That would pare it down a little bit. All right, well, for this time, we still got the debut album from Danzig, released on the 30th, back in 1988. On that very same day, these bands were competing for your sales, both debuting new albums, Danzig and Vixen. (laughs) There's a co-headlining tour I'd like to see. Yeah, that would have been a good Beat the Geek question right there. Which of these two bands debuted their debut albums on the very same day? You'd never guess Danzig and Vixen. That just shows you what times we were living in at those times. Yep. Uh, Back in 1972, we got the debut album from Styx. In 73, on the 31st, Rolling Stones, Goat's Head Soup. Uh, 87, on the 31st, Aerosmith, Permanent Vacation. uh, Kind of their big comeback. Uh, Days of the New, back in 1999, their debut. Here's a classic. Back in 1991, on the 31st. Megadeth, Risk. Ugh. Every Megadeth fan's favorite, right? Well, there's been some really awful stuff come out of Nashville, but that that might top the list because that was recorded here. Was it? Yeah, Dan Huff from Giant was the producer. Huh. It's it's not a good record. Yeah, it's a weird album, man. I think they definitely got the wrong producer for it. Yeah, they recorded it at uh, Sound Shop over on DeMumbria. It's not even there anymore. Dave Mustaine went down there with a torch and lit it up after that and said, never again. I never heard about again. the album being made and went down there and tried to meet the guys. And yeah. I, I waited there for an hour and a half. And then finally somebody from the studio walked out and he was like, they're not coming out anytime soon. You might as well leave. And I took off. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll stay as long as it takes. I wanted to meet Mustaine. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Oh, shit. What else? Annihilator, Alice in Hell. That's probably the one they're most known for back in 1989, celebrating an anniversary on the 5th. You know, it's kind of weird, too, is that sometimes, when you, especially when you go way back, there's albums that they have no idea what the release date was. They know the year, but they don't know the date. Yeah. So here's a handful of those since we're rounding out the end of August. These are albums you want to maybe check out because it's a cool anniversary. The 56th anniversary of the debut album from Vanilla Fudge. Here's one I don't never need an excuse to listen to. The 52-year anniversary of Black Sabbath, Master of Reality. One of my all-time favorites. Here's another one I love, BTO. Yeah, the Bachman-Turner Overdrive, Not Fragile. Celebrating a 49-year anniversary. That was one my dad had when I was a kid. I listened to the hell out of that. I was listening to that a couple days ago. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that title track is so crunchy, so cool. It's, a, it's an awesome riff. That's one of my all-time favorite riffs. Like you can't not pump your fist a little bit when you hear that. Let's see. Back in 1980, that makes it the 43-year anniversary of MSG by the Michael Schenker Group. Uh, Whitford St. Holmes debut album back in 1981. George Thorogood, Bad to the Bone, 1940, no, 41 <laughs> years ago. See, this is too much. 1982, sometime that same month. That's weird to think about it like that. Tigers of Pantang released The Cage at about the same time as George Thorogood was releasing Bad to the Bone. <laughs> it's wild. Aerosmith Rock in a Hard Place came out in 82 sometime in August. Hanoi Rocks. You can, how could anybody keep track of when that came out? Two Steps from the Move in 84. Black and Blue. Nasty Nasty. Is that one produced by Gene? Yeah. It's a third full-length studio album. I think. The title I track, know. I think, is what they ripped off for uh, Domino from Revenge. Yeah, and don't they do a cover of a Kiss song on there or something that would later become a Kiss song? I'd have to look. I'm not sure. I think it was Nasty Nasty, but I can't think of it. And we'll round it off with this. We'll do it on a down note. The debut album of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Why is that a down note? I don't know. He's a scumbag, but it's a great record. It is a great (laughs) record. It is. I was thinking about that one. Like, I wanted to like it so much because it was a dude from Kiss, even though I really didn't know much about it. Always had kind of a tough time back then with Robert Fleischman's vocals. They're so high-pitched. Yeah, it's a, it's a love-it-or-hate-it record for sure. But there's no denying there's some great songs on it, some great playing. The song Invasion is killer. Yeah, Well, until you get to the two full minutes of air raid siren guitar playing at the end. Oh, that's why you get yourself a little program like audacity and trim that shit right off before you put it on your iPod. (laughs) We need two more minutes on this record. I got it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. I used to hate that when I had the cassette tape. Oh man. But I still, I still like the record. I've, I listened to it a few months ago and I was like, that's still pretty good. Even though he's a piece of shit. Yep. He just he just canceled his October thing too. Oh, did he? Yeah. We ain't got that in the news. That's news. Uh, what? Well, he's rescheduling it to February because he didn't want to interrupt uh, interfere with Neil's event in Florida, which was obviously going to outdraw his event. Oh yeah, all the ten people that would have went to see Vinnie Vincent might have gone to that. That would have cut down. Then only three of them would have came. That's no good. Right. Neil's got a cool thing going in Florida. He's got Bruce doing all of Alive 3, and yeah. Ace is going to be there. So that'll be a cool thing. Yeah, it sounds like it's for a good cause and all yeah. that. Sounds all right, man. I'd like to time it out to be able to go check it out myself. I don't get down to Florida as much as I like, but it seems like every time I go to Florida, I have a good time. Yeah. Intentional or not. All right. So there you have it. Listen to all those albums before the next Geek Wire. That is your assignment. (laughs) You asked for this. No, we're going to have to figure out a better way. We can't do them all, so I think you're right. We'll just do, like, the big anniversaries, the 50s, the 25s, and all that. Yeah. Because that shit is not going to work. You get it this time, that's it. 
You ready for a double shot of Jeff Tate news? I know that was a long segment, but I'm still not done. Oh, you're oh you're not done. No, we still got Rockstar Death Days. Oh, you're right. And albums to look forward to. See, it's never gonna work that way. <laughs> One time you get the deluxe edition of album anniversaries. Never again. Let's look at some people we need to remember before we move on. Last time we left off with Ron Trost Heathman of the Super Suckers, who passed away back in 2020. Two days after that, man, this guy, big part of rock history, especially when it comes to being the drummer in the band that really kind of broke it in the 80s for all the other Sunset Strip bands. Passed away at the age of 68 back on the 20th, in 2020, the one and only Frankie Benali. Yeah. Poor guy. He died of pancreatic cancer. Did you know that Frankie's father died of the exact same thing? I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either until I was looking at this. It was Frankie's wishes to see Quiet Riot carry on, and they do. If they come around, go see them because they're awesome. You think, hey, there's hardly anybody left after Frankie, but... Man, they still got the spirit, and they got the songs, and they got the goods. You want to have a good time? Go see them today, anytime you get a chance. And play some classic Quiet Riot this week in memory of Frankie Benali. Here's a big one. Back in 1990, man, way too young at the age of 35. On the 27th, we got to remember the passing of blues rock legend Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Died in a helicopter crash. In Wisconsin, I hate that. Alpine Valley. Yep, after a show at Alpine Valley, from what I read, they left at like 1 o'clock in the morning. It was dark, it was cold, it was foggy, and basically flew the helicopter right into a ski hill nearby. Wasn't Bill Graham on that same flight? I'm not sure of that. I don't I, think so. I thought he, he was involved with that show somehow, but I can't remember if he was on the helicopter or not. Because I think it was somebody's agent. I think it was a couple of members of Eric Clapton's band, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I think it was multiple helicopters took off at the same time. Two of them went the way they were supposed to. The one got confused and smashed into a hill. Awful. Killed everybody on board instantly. Nobody had no drugs or alcohol in their system. Just a freak-ass thing. That sucks. Got a couple on here that are definitely going to hit real close to home, and we're going to hit them both right now. Back in 2021, we lost a guy that, you know, back years ago when we started doing this, we didn't have any kind of sponsors or anything. We didn't even think about that kind of stuff. But I think one of the first people that really saw us and what we were doing with Decibel Geek and said, you know what, your demographic is my demographic, I want to partner up. I want to work with you guys. And that was Bill Chavis. Yeah. Bill Chavis had his record label, and he said, Decibel Geek, you know, you guys, you're my kind of guys. You know, what you're doing really mirrors what I got going on. And for a while there, Bill Chavis was, he sponsored the show. He was a Rockin' Pod sponsor, too, and uh, helped sponsor the first year. And then uh, 2021 was supposed to come with his wife and have like an exhibitor table and i'll never forget it like the day before 
like Friday, he calls me and he goes, we can't make it. And I'm like, what's happening? They got like four or five hours into their drive and they were getting sick. Yeah. And they, he, he, they got COVID tests and he tested positive and he was like, I'm really sick. We're going to have to turn around and go home. And I was like, Oh God, I hope you're You guys are okay. And then he passed like three, like three weeks later, he wound up on a ventilator and then his wife got even sicker. And then like two weeks after that, she passed away. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 when I, I heard genuine fear in his voice when he called, I was really upset about it. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. He was trying to get to rock and pod and they never made it. Yeah. I would have phone calls with him and we would talk about the music industry and, you know, his label and all the crazy shit that he had been through. Like he worked with bullet boys and a lot of people, but yeah, I mean, wow. I hadn't thought about him in a while. It's uh, hard to believe we're on the anniversary of that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, and if you go way, way back in the archives, you're going to find episodes that were sponsored by High Vol Music, and that was Bill Chavis's record label, and he was the first one that really kind of believed in us in that way and saw that there was some value, that it wasn't just a couple of dudes having fun making friends with people all over the world through rock and roll, but there was actually some true value to what we were doing. And I'll never forget him for that because, you know what, we didn't even think there was any kind of value <laughs> like that to what we were doing, but he did, you know, and he sponsored the show as long as he could, and I'll always be grateful for it. Yeah, we're a really great guy. All right, well, if you're not bummed out now, <laughs> then we remember on the 5th, our brother, the third decibel geek. If you tuned in with us on Friday night live stream with Ralph and Ian, it was a big old love fest for this man who anybody who's listened to this show for any amount of time, they know him. They love him. The one and only Rock and Ron Runyon. Yeah. Got to remember him on the 5th. Such a good friend of ours. Like I said on Friday night live stream, like he insisted that upon us like so you should do some live stream stuff. We're like, yeah, yeah, we always talk about doing it. We're like, no, you should do it. And like, yeah, yeah, we always are. like, hey, there's a pandemic going on and I can't film any shows. I need to do something. So you're creating a Friday night live stream. You got me, misters? Because it's happening. And we said, okay, all right, Ron. We talked about Friday night, how Ron was when Vinnie Vincent finally emerged from the shadows. Rock and Ron was the very first one to get footage of him, and I'll never forget that experience of being Ron with Ron in the hotel when that happened. Almost getting thrown out at least three times before it. <laughs> Shit. If I say anything about Rock and Ron, man, that guy was persistent. He was. If he wanted to do something, nobody was going to tell him he couldn't do it. And that included showing up to his last Rockin' Pod because... He was in rough shape. He was in the wheelchair at that point already. He was not doing real good. And, you know, I, I hate to rehash the stuff we talked about on Friday, but I know not everybody maybe caught that. But uh, it was kind of to the point where we were like, Ron, are you sure this is a good idea? You know, maybe you should take the time to try to get better. You know, maybe not take so much on and make this big trip from Colorado to Nashville for this. And he was like, Oh no, I'm coming, you know? And he, he planned way ahead of time for it. And he was telling his doctors, like, you need to plan my chemotherapies and things around my plans to go to rock and pod. 
And because he was so persistent and so insistent, they had no choice but to, you know, follow his wishes. And in the end, as it turned out, we're so glad that we didn't talk him out of coming because it would be the last time we get to spend time with Rock and Ron in person. But, I mean, such great memories, such a great friend. Go back in the archives. Go back on YouTube on Decibel Geek TV, which is basically the creation of Rock and Ron. I mean, it was there before Rock and Ron, but it didn't do anything. When Rock and Ron took it, he brought it to life. Ah, shit, you know? And touched all our lives and was just basically one of our very best friends in the entire world. He's one of the people that, through this show, kind of became stars of podcasting without even having a podcast, you know? Yeah. Like, people think of Decibel Geek, they think of Rock and Ron Runyon. They think of, like, Mighty K and the Mooger Fooger and people that, you know, have such great, strong personalities that have come into our sphere and gained fans of their own through it. And everybody was a fan of Rock and Ron Runyon. Sure. And that's where I'm going to cut it off this time for Rockstar Death Days. Those guys are all rock stars in my book. That's plenty right there. Everybody, take some time to remember Rock and Ron Runyon this week. He was a hell of a guy. Go back in the Decibel Geek archives. Pick something out that he was on. Go back to the quarantine sessions that we did with him. One of the greatest episodes <laughs> of podcasting. Ever. Yeah, a lot Ever. of people don't know I appeared on an episode of Punked. It just happened to be that one. <laughs> That's my favorite episode of Punked. <laughs> everyone that listens to this show's favorite episode. Hell yeah. Oh. All right. So there you have it. Those are our people we want to remember this week and never forget. Let's look at some albums coming our way. We had Spirit Adrift. They were a former Fresh Blood band here on Decibel Geek. But man, they're doing all kinds of cool stuff all over the place. They had their new album, Ghost at the Gallows, came out on the 18th. I think we might have talked about it last time. If you don't know about Spirit Adrift, but you love metal, go check out their video for Hanged Man's Revenge. It's just them rocking out. But that's all they need to do. It's a killer song. The rest of the album is kick-ass. Support the up-and-coming bands. We got some legends we're going to talk about coming out with new albums today. But you want to help out the bands that are on the up. Like we talked about, when Guns N' Roses is done, when Metallica is done, we're going to be begging for some spirit adrift, if you know what I'm saying. So let's get them there so that they can be there when we need them most. On the 25th, this one's a few days old, but definitely worth checking out. It's their first new album in 20 years. Talking about Hurricane. I bet you guys remember Hurricane from back in the day. You got the OGs in the band, Robert Sarzo and Tony Cazavo. We don't have no Jay Shellen because, you know, he's in Yes. Got no Kelly Hansen because, you know, he's in Foreigner. But they got a new song out. The single's called Rockstar Cheater. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It reminds me of like that album back in the day. I haven't heard I haven't heard this one yet. It's pretty good, man. I would recommend it. Definitely check it out. Like I said, if you like their classic stuff back in the day when Kelly Hansen was in the band, when they were young dudes trying to make it in the world of rock and roll in the late 80s, 
then you're probably going to dig this. From what I heard, it's a definite throwback to that. On the very same day, on the 25th, the new album. Man, if this guy is anything, he is damn consistent, putting out new music all the time. This is his 20th full-length studio album since leaving the band, except he's back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Udo. (laughs) He's got a new album. This one's all originals. It's called Touchdown. Hmm. That's right, Touchdown. And the single, which there's a video out for it, yes, it is about football. (laughs) Oh, boy. Udo is making his play against ACDC for that big Super Bowl halftime show spot. Oh, gee, I wonder who's going to win that. (laughs) I don't know. This song about football is pretty awesome, I got to tell you. And I got to imagine the rest of the album is pretty damn good. If you like classic Accept, you love the stuff Udo does nowadays because that's a throwback to that, and you can't mistake that unmistakable voice of Udo. And, yeah, I mean, shit, 20 albums, not bad. Mm. Peter Baltus is on this one, too, so you got the double Accept connection on this, and that's cool, too. Also on the same day, the 25th, out of all these I'm talking about today, I think this one was the biggest surprise for me because I wasn't even sure if I liked this band that much. I remember them from back in the day. I definitely know who Adrian is, but I didn't know they were coming out with their fifth full-length studio album. Talk about the band Vandenberg. Yeah, I, I think I heard something off this a week or two ago. Dude. It's freaking awesome. The album's called Sin. That's also the name of the single that's out. They got uh, one of those uh, lyric videos for it. And, uh, man, yeah, it's total Zep Snake deal. You know, it's freaking awesome. It, the singing's good. The playing's amazing. The production's kick-ass. I mean, if you love Led Zeppelin, you love White Snake, you love Dio, I think you're going to love this. And I wouldn't expect to say this, but... You know, I think I'm going to pick up that new Vandenberg album. Hmm. I think I'm going to do it. I think it's that good. He's touring with uh, Jeff Tate. Oh, that's coming here too, isn't it? I think so. It's going to think they're going to play at the Country Music Hall of Fame for some reason. Oh, wow. That's weird. But that'd be kind of cool to go see that. Maybe Jeff Tate will wear a cowboy hat. I might want to go see Vandenberg. I wouldn't mind going to that. Might have to look into it. If it's coming around you, go to it and then let us know how it is. So that will round us out the end of August and bring us into the first week of September. We've got some releases on the first. This is one I'm guessing you're pretty excited about because this is a band that has been multiple time Chris Sinzak Decibel Geek Album of the Year Award recipients. They've got their 10th full-length studio album coming out. Can't talk about them like they're new anymore because now they're veterans talking about Eclipse. They released three singles off of this thing already. I know the last one didn't hit you quite as much as their earlier stuff. How are you feeling about the new album, Megalomanium? Well, everything, the three songs that they've released, I've loved. So I'm excited for this one. Okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because, like I said, you were getting a little down on them for a minute there, well, and I said, "Well, not some, you know, not down just, on them." They just, I mean, and like the, they they've been leaning more pop in the last couple of records, and I can still hear that on the three songs they've released. But for some reason, they've hit me better this time. Um, 
but no, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a great record. Even, even their down records are always better than most of everything else released. Yeah. All right. Well, good to hear that. So that comes out on the first, on the same day, the first, this is a 10th year anniversary reissue of Guar's Battle Maximus. The final Odorous Urungus album that was released originally in 2013. Man, it's got really cool vinyl. They're releasing it on CD. It's got a bonus track, updated cover art. And if you've never had the chance to own it on LP, now is your chance. Guar Battle Maximus. The reissue comes out on the 1st. And then let's wrap it up. One last album on the 1st. I don't know too much about this band, but if you love the German power metal then you got to be excited about the 14th album from Primal Fear. It's called Code Red. It's also out on the 1st. So, as always, I'm sure I'm missing something, but you guys were supposed to help me with that, and nobody's been sending me messages anymore. So, maybe I'm doing all right. I have no idea. So, there's your look to the past, the past, and the future with Camaro's segment. I promise next time, it will not be this long. <laughs> Still fun. Uh, all right. Well, are you are you ready for a double shot of Jeff Tate news? Double, double, double shot of Jeff Tate? No, thanks. Yeah, well, we're going to do it anyway. He is apparently on the, quote, second round of writing his autobiography. And uh, he told Hot 100 FAM, The Pike, that uh, he said, well, I thought it, he, they asked if he was close to finishing his autobiography. He said, I thought it was, and I sent it back to my publisher and sent it back to me with cryptic notes. So I'm on the second round of writing it for now, which I've actually come to terms that it's very difficult to do this. I'm wondering if they uh, wanted like tips on uh, choosing the white winery or something or, you know, vest choices no, for your wardrobe. No, because if that's what it was, it would have been easy for him. Yeah, probably. Or how to how to spit and try to stab your bandmates in Rio. Yeah, I think it's probably more likely a story of I sent my book to them and they're like, in the first three chapters, you could be sued six or seven times. In the next three chapters, the total comes up to like 50. You can't just talk shit about everybody you've ever known. You're going to get sued over and over and over again. Yeah, I think we're going to continue to not have a uh, Queensryche reunion anytime soon. Man, that sucks that you can't just, I mean, I get it, why? But you can't just write a book and be like, you know what? I'm going to tell all the stories and I'm going to name all the names. Like, you see in the the news flash thing, it's like Barbara Streisand's writing a book and she's telling it all. Why can't Geezer Butler tell it all? And why can't Jeff Tate tell it all? How does one not get sued over and over again and the other not? Do you think he talks about the years before Queensryche where he was calling himself Jeff Waterfall? Jeff Waterfall. Was that a Beat the Geek question at one time? I don't know if it was a Beat the Geek thing. I learned it from Adam Baum's uh, autobiography because he was friends with him in Seattle. And he was like, Jeff would show up and try to pick up on all the high school girls. And he called himself Jeff Waterfall. That's got to be the worst made-up name ever. It's pretty bad. That's way worse than Joey Ramone's first name in rock. What was his? Joey Starship? Oh, no. Yeah, that was, well, his real name was Jeff Hyman, but his uh, his name was Jeff Starship in the band Sniper. Oh, yeah, Jeff Starship. <laughs> I learned that on the last Beat the Geek. Yeah. 
Hope everybody enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. We had a lot of hell of a challenge. It was. But we and came then, out pretty good. And I guess now we're tasked with trying to come up with a tournament, right? <laughs> that's what they tell us. Yeah, that's what they tell us. Would you guys be interested in that, facing off against each other in a tournament? I don't know. It's a, it's a lot of questions to come up with. Yeah. Um, We'd have to but, whittle it down to only 16 people. I got to imagine more than 16 would want to get in on that trivia tournament. Yeah, probably. Maybe that at the end, like the winner of the tournament has to face you. I'm like the I'm like the final boss on a video. Yeah, game. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Top boss, Chris Sinzak. All right, I'm I'm the Mike Tyson. Um, mm-hmm. So if, in other Jeff Tate news, he I thought this was kind of interesting. He spoke about his experience uh, doing the the Weir Stars track uh, with Ronnie James Dio back in the '80s, which was. Heavy Metal's answer to We Are the World. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the video of this, right? Oh, yeah. Of yeah. course. So, um, But he, it was interesting to hear his perspective. He said he just finished a tour with uh, Ronnie James Dio opening for him. And he called him up on the phone and, and he said, you want to get involved with this project? And, he, and Jeff says, I dropped everything and said, of course. And he flew me down to A&M Records into the studio there. I walked in at my appoint, appointed time. And the place was just packed full of people. There was more more people there that were in the studio than I'd ever seen in a studio in my life. There must have been, I don't know, 50, 60 people hanging out there, and all of them were famous, people in the music scene. And I walked into the microphone, put my headphones on. I looked through the glass in the con- control room, and Ronnie's in there, and Rob Halford's in there, and Ted Nugent's in there. Eric wow. Bloom is in there. Neil Sean is in there. Wow. And I was, like, freaking out. I'm a very young man. I'm, like, 24 years old. And I'm performing in front of these famous people with a lot of accomplishments. And I was so petrified that I couldn't take my sunglasses off. I had to wear them throughout the whole day because I did, couldn't look at anybody. I just had to look at myself and feel myself and get into the song. But it was a wonderful experience. And I'm glad to be a part of it. But uh, that must have been pretty crazy to uh, experience that at his age. Yeah, I got to imagine being so young and then you're in there and you got all these legends looking at you. And they're probably like, who the fuck is this guy? You yeah. know, I can imagine I can imagine Ted Nugent being like, huh, who the hell is this guy? You know? And you know, deals like, listen, he's cool. You know, I just see had him out on tour with me. This guy's gonna be good. Calm down, everybody. I never heard of no Queens right. What the hell is that shit? And then they probably like, look at this douchebag wearing his sunglasses the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh he goes on to say I was petrified, absolutely petrified, and Ronnie was such a good sport about everything and he definitely understood my situation and coached me through, encouraged me to keep going and do what it was I was doing. Nice. And actually he was an incredible mentor throughout my career. At various times we connected through the years and he sang a lead part on Operation Mindcrime Two, which let's not think about that record. And we toured with him extensively. In fact, we did the last tour he did with Heaven and Hell. Queensryche opened for him at the time. He was wonderful. What a wonderful man he was. May he rest in peace. I thought that was a classy quote. Yeah. You don't never, hardly ever hear bad things about Dio unless it's from former bandmates. Yeah. Like, if you talk to, like, young up-and-coming people, like, Jizzy Pearl's got that YouTube channel he does. And he doesn't come out with videos very often, but every time he does, it's something really cool. And one that he released a while back was talking about, like, through circumstance between the band Love Hate and his solo career, he's probably open for Dio more than any other living person on earth, maybe living or dead. 
just because of how circumstances lined up, he was always on tour with Dio, it seemed like. And he just talked about how amazing Dio was and how helpful and, you know, understanding and patient and all these things. Like, if you're not on the payroll, he's probably going to treat you pretty good. <laughs> all right. I can imagine. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. And uh, strange headlines for the week. Disturbs David Draymond wants to collaborate with Taylor Swift and says, quote, I think she's a brilliant woman. Of course you do. You want to make a whole lot of money. Who I'd collaborate with Taylor Swift. I don't know how that would turn out. A Camaro and Swift collaboration. Listen, Chris, you know, this Decibel Geek thing's been great. And, you know, I've really lived out a dream of mine of all the stuff that we've got to do together and all we've got to experience. And, you know, I'm really proud of my time with Decibel Geek and all we've accomplished. But listen, man, me and Taylor are going to do our own podcast. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'll tell you something funny. I'm joining the Swift cast. It was a few years ago. I can't remember who it was that told me this. Somebody that listened to our show that like I actually respected their opinion told me that they told they made the claim that Taylor they knew Taylor Swift and that she listened to the show. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know if it's true. It's probably bullshit, but uh interesting to think about. I'm going to have to take a double look at those uh reviews and recommendations we got off the uh alternate history episode and see if she's got one in there for us. Decibel Geek Live at SoFi Stadium. <laughs> but to see, that's the thing. Like, wouldn't it be great to get Taylor Swift on the show to talk about hard rock and metal? Sure. We'd be megastars. <laughs> I did interview her guitar player back in the uh, mid-2000s when I was running a local rock website. Yeah. And I, act, and I ran into him again at the uh, the Night Ranger show at the Ryman. Nice. Yeah. He was uh, Kiss's merchandise manager for the uh, Psycho Circus tour when he was still struggling. Oh, for real? Yeah. His name's Paul Sedoti. And he also, like, would do... Do you remember in the 90s, like, a lot of the 50s and 60s era artists would do, like, pickup shows where it would be, like, one band backing all of them? Right, yeah. So he... Uh, that was one thing that stuck out from that interview. Like, he was in uh, the band that was, like, the backing man for all of them, and, He'd play with like Jerry and the Pacemakers and Chuck Berry and all these older bands. And uh, he had a lot of good stories from that, but he was a massive Kiss fan. So, might want to get him on the show. Maybe we can get Taylor on the show. <laughs> That's right. And then, just like Disturbed, we can cash on in. So, I suck it, David Draymond. Yeah, we're coming for you, Dolly Parton, Paul McCartney, Robert Plant. Oh, God. Our listeners would hate that shit. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just a couple stories left here. I know we're running a little long on this one, but uh, Access TV interviewed uh, Judas Priest frontman Rob Halford, and this is definitely the laziest question in rock journalism, but they asked him what albums he would take to a desert island. You want to hear them? It might be lazy, but it's always interesting to hear. He would pick Black Sabbath's self-titled debut. Yeah, yeah. He would pick Electric Ladyland by Jimi Hendrix. All right. Yeah, I can see that. He would pick Get Your Yaya's Out from the Rolling Stones. It's a good live album. Uh, he would pick Rain and Blood by Slayer. Oh, wow. I wouldn't expect that. And he would pick a Tool album, but he didn't specify what the album was. I have to get together with Sammy Hagar and hash that one out. But I have to say, Blabbermouth really... M- 
missed out on a headline clickbait opportunity here. So the blabbermouth headline is, What Albums Would Judas Priest Rob Halford Take to a Desert Island? But then there's a quote in here when he mentions Tool where he says, It's really great music to put your headphones on, which I have here on this island to get lost in some Tool. You could just totally say Rob Halford wants to get lost in some Tool. I don't even know what to say to you right now. <laughs> You've been hanging out with Ian Wadley too much, young man. I probably have. I'm going to have to start uh, cutting back your time together. I thought it was funny. So um, to go along with Blabbermouth headlines, and the only reason I included this story is because of the headline, and I have a uh, a bit of a dissertation, not a dissertation, but I have a theory speaking of Blabbermouth because they're never going to run our show anyway, so let's go ahead and talk about them. They have a story about David Ellison talking about his uh, current and future plans. And you know what the headline they used was? Uh Uh-uh. David Ellison, quote, I let things come as they come. Oh, those sons of bitches. And it's about his career and everything. Right, but that's what they use as the the clickbait. Yes. Because that's ha-ha funny, right? So, but like this has been going on for... A couple years now since David's um, unfortunate incident with his uh, self-pleasure. Right. So I went into the (laughs) Blabbermouth archives because I had a theory about this, and I think I'm right. So let's look at some previous Blabbermouth headlines involving David Ellison. Okay. Here's one. David Ellison, the only thing harder than getting to the top is staying at the top. Oh, shit. Here's another one. David Ellison looks back on Megadeth's early years. Dave Mustaine, quote, needed a real right-hand man who was going to be there. What the fuck? (laughs) I'm not done. Here's another one. David Ellison supports Pantera's return. Quote, they're handling it very well. What the shit? And then one more that is... Related to Ellison as the story, but about James Lomenzo. James Lomenzo on his return to Megadeth after David Ellison's sex video scandal. Quote, I didn't see that coming again. What the hell? Either they think they're really clever and funny or they really hate Dave Ellison. I don't know. It's funny to talk about, though, right? No, that's wild that you picked up on that and saw the pattern with it. (laughs) Somebody's got it in for him. It's weird, but it's cool. Oh. Let's not be hard on David Ellison. Come on. Ha, 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 ha. You have been hanging out with Ian Wadley too much. Yeah, probably have. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Ah, that's weird, man. That's that's some, like, conspiracy theory thing that is actually true. Alternate David Ellison history. Like, they have a con- there's a conspiracy that Blabbermouth is doing this to David Ellison, but then you look back at it, and it's really real. Maybe Dave Mustaine runs Blabbermouth. I mean, shit. That whole web page is just Corey Taylor quote, Dave Mustaine quote. I was going to say, Dave Mustaine would have to be a big Corey Taylor fan. Corey Taylor said this. Dave Mustaine says that. Corey Taylor says this. Dave Mustaine says that. That's your whole Blabbermouth breakdown. Basically, yeah. Maybe. Maybe whoever is in charge, the the chief editor of Blabbermouth.net, maybe he's just a huge old-school Dave Mustaine fan and hates Dave Ellison because Dave tells him to, or because Dave does. 
What a jerk off. Kind of lame. All right, one more story from the files of Blabbermouth. Faster Pussycats Tammy Down was on a recent episode of the Talk Louder podcast hosted by our friends Dave Glessner and Jason McMaster. That's funny. He's like, yeah, Blabbermouth, they're a bunch of assholes. Hey, the next story from Blabbermouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where do you think I get all this material? Shit. You need to switch over to Brave Words, I'm telling you. I probably do. It's the same thing, but you can feel better about it when it's over. Uh, but Tammy Down mentioned that he is working on his autobiography. W- do you think there's a market for a Tammy Down autobiography? I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you keep your expectations low, I don't think it's going to be a New York Times bestseller or nothing. But then again, I don't even know what it takes to become that anymore. I see people that I think are just normal people that are releasing best-selling books nowadays. Yeah. So maybe it don't take much. Maybe it's the categories like this week, New York Times bestseller list in the category of authors in the Sunset Strip metal scene of the 80s. Bestselling author, Tammy Down. Never know. I'd read it. Definitely. I love Faster Pussycat. That's one of my favorite bands. Well, I mean, and also with the Cat House history. You know, there he was. He was like an L.A. born and bred guy. So yeah. uh, he would. I'm sure he would have some great stories about how the strip kind of evolved. One thing I noticed in this article, his real name is Gustav Mulvick. Yeah, yeah, I knew what it was name. Gustav something. Yeah, Tammy Down sounds way better than that. Yeah, it just don't have the same ring to it, though, does it? Yeah, but I don't know. I think it, there could be some interesting stories in there. He also worked, you know, record label stuff and the scene and music videos. I would read it. Yeah, and then like the the change and the decline because Faster Pussycat was recording Whipped, which was supposed to yeah. be, you know, a really huge album, but that was right at that edge. Like Whipped was right at it. Like they had the single nonstop nowhere. They had the video on MTV, but then it was like right after that, it was there was wasn't really a second single that anybody ever heard or seen. Yeah. And it was, they were right at the edge of that. So that'd be interesting to hear how that went for them, you know, like, because their drop off came fast. Well, with that song, Nonstop to Nowhere, it's like, that's all the elements you would want of a song that should have been a giant radio hit. And right. just timing, without the timing being the way it was, that song would have been a huge hit. Yeah, if that would have been a Soundgarden song, it would have been massive. It'd be one of them songs everybody still talks about its greatness to this day. I think the song, personally, myself, the way it is, is amazing. I love it. I was excited when that album came out. I was a first-day buyer when that album came out. And then, next thing I know, you know, everyone's saying, hey, it's not cool like Fast Pussycat no more. It's like, why the hell not? You know, and then I followed them through to the Newly Deads, which was, like, industrial rock, but was still pretty cool because it still had good guitars to it. And I stuck with them through that. And then in the 2000s, Fast Pussycat came back with a new album, The Power and the Glory Hole. Yeah. Which was kind of a mix between Faster Pussycat that you knew and the Newly Dead's kind of industrial stuff, which that wasn't all that great of an album. And then it was forever. I mean, they'd be touring and playing and stuff, but it was forever before they released anything new. And it was like just last year. Yeah, they released like four, three or four songs that were all awesome. That were really, really good. One of which that was uh, 
performed uh, on it by uh, Tyson Leslie, our friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's actually the newer stuff they put out. The singles have been really promising. I just wish they'd do a record. Right, and that's kind of what I was hoping. It's like, well, maybe this is one of them deals like Eclipse where they release a single, release, single, release, single, and then release a full album with those songs on it plus a bunch of other ones. So if you like them, we kept you teasing along, now here's the rest. Right. I would buy that first day today just like I did back in the day for Whipped and Wake Me When It's Over and the debut album. I fucking love Faster Pussycat. I think their newer stuff sounds better than the newer L.A. Gun stuff, personally. You know what? I will agree with you on that. I just want to hear a full record of it. Yeah, I would like some more of it. Yeah. Put down the pen, write in your book, write some songs, record them, release it, then go back to writing your book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, come on, Gustav, get with it. Yeah, Gustav, we want to rock. <laughs> Top 10 band for me right there, Faster Pussycat. I don't know if I'd say they're top 10 for me, but I like them. Top 10 for me, for sure. I just wish they had more to their discography. If they weren't top 10, they'd be disqualified because of the smallness of the amount of albums they've released. But otherwise, by like love for the band alone, top 10. Right on. That's all I got. Heck yeah. So if you guys are fans of this show, then you got to know that we've got Decibel Geek VIP programs for you over at Patreon.com. And we just released a brand new Torpedo Dudes. Yep, that's Chris and I's KISS podcast that we released just for the VIPs. And we also released a new episode of the Chris and Aaron show, which has got all kinds of crazy backstage stuff. And maybe, just maybe, the very first rumblings of what could maybe soon be the first rock and pod announcement. I'm just saying, if you're a Decibel Geek VIP, you get all the inside stuff. Or it could have completely changed since that time. Just saying. Oh, we didn't you didn't give nothing away. You just said yeah. that you'd be having an you know, we'll just yeah, we got something. We'll see. <laughs> Become a Decibel Geek VIP. Get extra content. There's all kinds of stuff in the archives. Patreon.com is where it's at. Look up Decibel Geek. Pick your level of commitment and get all the extra goodies. If you love the Decibel Geek podcast, then you got to love Pantheon podcast. They are our lords and masters here at the Decibel Geek podcast. We hear and obey. They say you guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay, Pantheon. We will do just that. And that makes them happy. It would make us happy if you would check them out and see what they've got going on. They've amassed the greatest roster of music podcasts. And it's not just rock and metal like us. It's all kinds of stuff. So maybe you don't just like rock and metal. That's weird. But it's okay. You're going to find other podcasts that you like. Make it easy on yourself. Why go through all the work of listening to a bunch of crappy, crappy podcasts and going, I just wasted an hour of my life because I thought maybe I would like this. Cut all that bullshit out. Go straight to Pantheon. They've got it served up to you on a silver platter. All the best music podcasts in the entire world. They've got them. Download the app and go on through and sample them all. You're going to find all kinds of stuff you love. And as for us, well, we're the Decibel Geek Podcast. we got a lot of cool stuff coming your way. 
definitely a fresh blood coming real soon because it's our responsibility to keep rock and metal alive and we're going to do it. We still owe you a Led Zeppelin Part 2. That's going to be coming up pretty soon. And you know what? We're crazy. Who knows what else we might come up with. So stick with us. This has been GeekWire. I'm Aaron Camaro. That's Chris Sinzak. And we'll see you next time. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.